Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 to 38. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the, the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I sign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. The word of the Lord. I want to introduce to you. I want to take just a moment to introduce uh, our speaker this morning. It's 
Reverend Howard Brown. Uh, pastor is a uh, pastor of Christ Central Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. How many years now have you guys been there? 14. 14 years. Uh, he is a uh, graduate of Clemson University as well as Covenant Seminary. Um, perhaps most importantly, he is a husband 20 years of his wife, Kelly, and father to Harrison and Clark. And so we're really privileged this morning. I want to ask you please to welcome Pastor Howard Brown. Thank you. It's a pleasure here to be with you. Um, really enjoyed getting to know your pastor last year. And um, didn't we meet last year? And uh, coming back to this LDR. And um, when I came in here this morning, um, I was like, I am so at home. The church replant have, have been at for 14 years as a church plant. And so we know about non-traditional spaces. <laughs> I love non-traditional spaces. I like going to buildings and being like, I think we can do a church in here. I love it. <laughs> when we started Christ Central, we started in a place called the Neighborhood Theater. And it was a place where they would have concerts. It was grungy, y'all. It was in a real arts district, not the real expensive arts district, but the arts district where the artists don't wash and they make their own clothes and it lives six deep into, in a house. It was, you know, and they come out and do their little drum circles, stuff I didn't grow up with. And um, in that neighborhood theater, I mean, we had, we didn't know whether we were going to see rats or, okay, there's a bar in there too. So you can imagine what the bathrooms might look like or sidewalks when we walked in the morning. And in that bar area, that's where our nursery was. Yes. <laughs> Welcome. Don't you want to be part of this church plant? My dad, you know, he's more traditional Southern man. He was like, Howard, what's going on? You got to take all that liquor down, all those beer signs down. I'm like, it's about Jesus. The cross shines brighter <laughs> on Sunday on Sunday. Um, so I'm glad to be with you guys. So we come to this passage, and um, especially as a church plan, I think it's, there's some important lessons to learn as you're a community this size, which I love when it's this size and at this point in the ministry. So it's Passover week in this passage, and since all Passover meals had to be done within the city walls to be official, the city is hopping, right, and, and scrambling with visitors and whole family groups like family reunion time, all, you know, the matching off-color T-shirts, looking for one nice spot for the cookout. That's what it's like. And inner Jesus and his disciples, no matching shirts, no one family name, a diverse group of social and religious alternatives and outcasts. And Jesus, the big brother and leader of the group, gives them some good news. There is a place. A man in Jerusalem, he did a nice family room add-on on top of the garage, and he said, we can use it for our Passover meal. So go get the ice and paper plates, right? And all of that, and let's get ready to celebrate. Now, back then, they would have the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread together for convenience sake. Kind of like we do, some of are going to do this weekend, we have family reunion during Labor Day weekend, right? Or at July 4th. And so they would have gotten a lamb properly butchered at the temple and then brought to eat together for dinner. So here is the dinner scene, right? The, the last supper scene that we read from. But forget Da Vinci's last supper picture. 
You know the one grandmama had hanging up, right? Well, my grandmama anyway, next to Martin Luther King Jr. picture, right? <laughs> and she was old enough in JFK too. Okay, moving on. All right, I'm old, y'all. Older. So the Bible tells us they were reclining at the table on the left elbow, laying a little lower than the person to their right. And you would lay with your feet behind you. They, it was kind of like Japanese table-style thing going on, on mats and pillows. And then you would have, have to use one hand to eat. And Jesus gets up as customary for the host, which was usually the role of the father, or head of the family. And after the Passover feast, he breaks the bread and says something uncustomary. Breaking tradition, cultural, religious ranks, Jesus says, this is my body, given and broken in some accounts for you, and then takes a cup of wine and does a religious toast and says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, and it is beautiful in a bloody sort of vampire cannibalistic way. <laughs> but at the climatic moment, things begin to fall apart. I don't know if you see this. It turns into the table scene from New Jack City, right? Or some kind of dinner scene from Empire or The Godfather or a wedding on Game of Thrones because things get nervy when Jesus follows this awesome toasting scene with these words. The hand of one who is on the table with me will betray me. And since everyone had their hand on the table with his, Starts a questioning of, it isn't me, it must be him, right? And then it turns south and they begin to confirm their loyalty, right, Lord, I'm good. And, and, and then, you know, they start arguing about who is the greatest and who did or said what and who will betray Jesus. And Jesus lets them know that the one who serves is the greatest. And so as, the serve, and so as you serve in my grassroots Lord of the Universe election campaign, you will get a post in my cabinet one day. And I'm just looking at the picture, right? You can kind of see them feeling better. Some laughing comes back, they like, yeah, man, I'm going to get a nice corner office in heaven. And just when things are settling down, Jesus looks over at Peter. I mean, Jesus wants to start some mess. He can't leave good enough alone. Folk trying to have a good time, he brought up the thing about, you know, someone's going to betray me, they have an argument, they calm down. And Jesus calls out the brother, Peter, Peter. Saying it twice was like saying, my dog, right? My ace, Boone Coon, okay? And everyone is probably thinking, Jesus is about to make him the greatest. And he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. But when you come back to your senses, help others. I mean, this is tough. Can you see Jesus' eyes? Man, when he looks at you and says it, guess what? It's going to happen. Right? And, and, and Peter's like, why me? No, wait, not me. I'll die for you, Jesus. You're my man. Maybe, maybe Bartholomew. Listen to his name. That ain't, my name is The Rock. I got your back, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, before the sun up, before sun up, you act like you never seen me before. And I've been in that position, right? Everybody has. Everybody looking at you, but afraid because you could be next. 
Everybody quiet. You know you got the one person trying not to laugh. And just when you think you can go ahead and move on and have a good time, Jesus reminds them at the end of this passage of what he said when he first sent them out with the go easy on them approach of outreach. In Matthew 10, if you remember, he said, go out, but take no money and take no sandals and take no stuff. When you go on your missionary journeys, you had everything you needed, right? Remember those days? Well, Jesus flips the script and is like, if you got some money, you better take some. And if you have a bag or money clip or Swiss gear backpack to hold and save what you got and to get more, you better do that too. And if you have a, do have an extra coat, better pawn or Craig list to offer up that for a sword or switchblade or some nunchucks or taser or something, because you're going to need that too. Of course, he does what he was sent to do, right? And so he's trying to make a point here. He's saying, once I die, like a fool and a criminal on the cross, it ain't going to be easy for you anymore. And then the disciples jump up, well, Lord, we have two swords right here. We ready. Let's go, God. And Jesus shakes his head because he's a poet and they act like they don't know it, right? Just, just let that settle in for a minute. That was pretty good. Um, anyway, but because... They take literally what is deeper metaphor, and once again, they don't get it. So Jesus is like, conversation over. It's enough. It's too much for y'all. Y'all aren't ready to handle all that I must do or what will happen. And it makes sense why he says when he ascends, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The end of the Last Supper. But they couldn't comprehend fully at the Last Supper, but what Jesus was offering fully was that he was giving them what would be needed as his people and as the church. People called to the challenging and and perplexing but life-changing work of the gospel in our cities and worlds and neighborhoods and even as it happens within themselves, all of the mixed up, draining and exhausting issues of politics and socioeconomics and sexuality and race and ethnicity and broken image issues and more and even more were going to be what their mission and their lives would be tied up in. And he makes clear here when he talks about the rulers of this world that they would go out not to conquer it or lord over it or rule over it, but tied in and serving it. A big difference. And especially for a new ministry like you guys, a church planting, missional, and driven thing going on right here at Central West End, you need what Jesus was offering this here. At this beginning core group church plant with the disciples that day. So Jesus wanted them and us to know that to serve and survive in this world, to be a transforming and and missionary and reaching and growing community of faith, they needed his soul food. Understand that this was no ordinary meal. This was a celebration of their soul food. It was a meal and an occasion that was more than a snack this Passover and more than just a meal. It told a story. 
and around it, stories were told. It sent a message and around it like no other meal. Messages were given, and Jesus uses this Passover meal to do just that. It was a soul food event. I don't know whether this is your cultural expression. You know, I'm from the South, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, big oak trees, eating outside a lot. In the heat, mosquitoes and everything else. Kelly came to one of our gatherings, and we eat seafood, right? A lot of fish. And we're like, we're going to a fish fry. And Kelly's eyes lit up like, fish fry, this will be great. And we come to a dark place in the woods. And we're like, we are here at the fish fry, Kelly. Where are the lights? We can't see the fish. You just feel for it, right? <laughs> Groups of people gathered around. Okay, just giving you an idea. But like Passover here, I don't know why I threw that in. That was free. For us, there, there is a different story and message when at our home and when soul food is served, right? I'm not just talking about just the chicken and biscuit snack, right? But like the Passover, this is the full spread, right? This was the fried chicken and fish and the baked ham and beef roast and macaroni and cheese and green beans and black-eyed peas and for us, the okra soup and the rice and the collard and you name it, right? <laughs> and for you, it might be a different sort of full spread soul food. But with us, it was complete with the pies and the chocolate cake and the pound cake and the sweet tea and, and all kind of stuff. There has to be more than two meats for it to be soul food. We start with meat and we build up with everything around it, right? Just like they did with the lamb first and everything around it. Like Jesus with his disciples, Passover, as with our soul food meals, the gospel, right? The message of redemption. You know what it does? It calls all kinds of people to a place where they will be in life-changing relationship around this meal. People in a place in life-changing relationship. Now, understand like our soul food times, the Passover meal was a family meal, like I explained already. You did it as a household, and for Jesus to have this meal with them, he was declaring and establishing a people to be in a place of relationship. It's funny how this happens um, at my house, uh, my parents back in Charleston, but if you come to one of our home-cooked meals, now my wife is the leader in this thing, cooking and making it happen, um, which often centers around food in our culture, the meal automatically, it is so interesting, makes us intimate in ways we weren't before we started eating. And usually it's my dad that says, well, you family now. <laughs> what? Just after eating some greens with hot sauce? Is that it? No, no beatings, no whippings? That ain't fair. And he goes on, you're always welcome. And you know what's funny is I look back at Christmas meals and Thanksgiving meals or Fourth of July celebrations or even Sunday dinners. There is always somebody who became family. And oftentimes they're eating with us because they are too far from home. Maybe a college friend or someone whose family no longer has a matriarch or patriarch to hold it together. Or sometimes it is more deliberate than that. It's a girlfriend, a newborn baby, or someone that we invited over on purpose, right? 
One of the messages of this Passover meal is saying, is I am calling, Jesus is calling for a place and a people to come together with me. To be a people. Because of the meal and what it means. A people called to a place with each other, me, because of my call on their lives to be changed and restored. Because of the way the gospel message calls for an eclectic community. And because of the way this gospel message can make us and call us aliens and enemies and weirdos and misfits and mishaps in our own communities and families. And all the misfit people and misfit toys, right, come together and we bring them home with us and we make a home where there wasn't one. And for you believers, right? Just for the way Jesus has made you crazy. (laughs) For some of you who may not be believers, but share this part of our story. Because you live in a fallen and broken world, you don't have any place to go. Just by listening and following Jesus has left many of us, like the disciples, homeless. Right? Right? Feeling alone and needing somebody else who can help you understand who you are and what Jesus is doing in you and through you because Jesus caused such a glorious mess in your lives. You need to be a people. You need to be with a people. Jesus is calling for a people and community shaken by the world and by the gospel to come together. He is making right here and creating and calling people like you and me to a new place as a new people in and as a people of God in the Central West End. As I look at this room, some of y'all don't look like y'all should go together. (laughs) And if I heard the stories, trust me, I'm a a diverse church. I mean, if I heard the stories, I know y'all ain't supposed to be together. What brings you together? Somebody must be given some kind of meal out. That is making us a people who shouldn't be a people. You should all be alone, right? You should all be separated. Some of you are so alienated because of your beliefs or because you're broken in some way. And you come here and you're like, wow, I can't believe it because of one thing. We're now people. In a ballroom. It makes sense what Jesus says here when we look at verses 36 and thirty. Seven, he says this. Dog, I'm getting older. Um, I'm about to get the big Bible. All right. He said to them. Yes, okay. But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. What he's saying is, again, once again, if that when he dies and Christianity becomes its own faith, distinguished from Judaism, that the families and the heritage that help support you when you went around declaring the good news, that's going to be gone. You will need your own fellowship your own family, a new family, a new place like you see happening around this table. Jesus is saying, for your survival, you need some help. I didn't need that help. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
I didn't expect that object lesson, you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is saying, for your survival, when you can't see, you need some help. You need somebody or bodies to talk to, to share your stories and connect your chapter, right, to the broader narrative of the family story. Or else, like we see them doing and pulling out their swords. Do you know what happens when you're alone? Do you know when you're like the freedom fighter all by yourself? You will on your own get defensive and fearful and become self-righteous and begin using the tools of this world to get by. You'll get so discouraged and so lonely that you get the whole Christianity thing all wrong. And Jesus is saying, I will not let that happen to you, my people. You see, through this meal, Jesus is sending a message and a beacon call to all those whose lives have been misplaced and recalled by the gospel in a sinful and broken world to come into community and to the table. Because Jesus has created and secured and made a place for you to be known and loved. A place to, to be served and sharing, though, and seen and fellowship with and cared for in a confusing and alienated world, alienating world. Look at verse 24 with me. It says here that a dispute also, wow, a dispute also arose among them. That word is illuminated. Um, (laughs) As to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And the leader is one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one as the one who serves, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I sign to you as my father signed me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so a lot there. I'm not going to unwrap all of it, but enough. Okay. They're arguing about who's the greatest. A couple things I want you to see here. They're reclining at this table. And interestingly, they only have their right hands to dip and eat and take things. In order for this to work, they had to use the hand of the person to their left and right to get what they needed. And so Jesus says, who is the greatest servant, the one who's at the table or the the one who is not at the table? Of course, Jesus pointing to himself as the greatest servant, not at the table. We'll get back to that. But he's also saying that we are called to serve each other as we sit at the table. That we must rely on our sense of familiness and companionship to serve each other around the table at the table. And it makes complete sense when Jesus talks about the greatest, being the servant. Because think about it, when that thing you need... It happens a lot when the main part of the meal is two seats down. Who's the greatest? The one who can reach it, right? Right? Now, we know ultimately the greatest servant is the one who prepared it. We'll get back to that, right? But the servant among you is the one at the table that says, hey, I got what you need. Here it is. Jesus is calling us to be a people in a place where we only make it as we serve each other. 
But get this, where, can, where you can only get what you need if you get served, right? They, had, they only had their right hands to serve them, y'all. This is how Christianity works. We are not allowed, hear me, or called in authentic Christianity to meet our own needs as we see fit on our own. We eat the meal as a community based on how Jesus has prepared it and put the body together for us to receive it. The reason I say this is because Christianity and the faith has become a la carte. Right? We, we, we just pick what we want and, and we serve ourselves based on the offerings of the church instead of being the church that makes a servant offering to one another. This is not about meeting your own needs. This is about being well-fed and growing spiritually only as well and good as the relationships you have. We are all one-handed in our ability to make it happen and for ourselves, to heal or fix ourselves or bring comfort to ourselves. There is no self-pick and choose on your own by your own spirituality. If you do that, you will do bad all by yourself, Right? Jesus is saying, come to a place where you can only get served as you serve each other. A place where everyone is needy of service and everyone is called to be in a position to give that service. And this new place in St. Louis for you is right here. In this Central West End community. You know what it's called? Surprise. The church. <laughs> the church. Because the revolution will and redemption will not and cannot happen. The restoration of lives and community and families. The cultural burdens that will, will not be alleviated. That, that eclectic, diverse community and changing the city for the better will not and cannot happen without you being found and finding and being a part of a people and place called the church. How do we get served? I don't know what y'all got here. But I took some guests. Y'all might have community. Y'all got like small groups or community groups or something? Okay, I'm, I don't mean to call you out. If you don't, you might be doing some new kind of church. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, it's community groups for 80s. I don't know what's new, the new thing. But community groups, men's groups, women's groups, all the things y'all have going on, a multi-generational choir practice, not just the thing y'all did, the thing y'all did to get to the place to do it, right? Like the rehearsals, the practices, the who's late, who we waiting on, the conversations that go on while, you know, Mary's trying to get y'all's attention and y'all are talking, right? That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. It's family. How many times mom and daddy got to say, stop talking while I'm talking? Yeah, but me and my brother, we have a relationship. But I'm daddy, I'm mama, Right? Jesus wants you to know, extrovert and introvert, that there is room at the table for you through Jesus. So by all means, find a table in a place somewhere. Because on your own personal self-sustaining Christianity living in this world, will, it will overwhelm, discourage, and confuse you. So good news, Jesus calls us and offers us and is created in the church a new place for a new and renewed people. We have a home and a family. 
And it's in this place in his people that Jesus authenticates us, keeps us, and holds us. Trying to get to that off button? I didn't mean to call you out, but I thought we were family. Okay. I'm sorry. That's how I preach. Some, I just, I'm, I'm live with it. I'm sorry. I, this is not a performance. This is me preaching with the people of God. Go ahead. Just go ahead and find the off switch. That's fine. Um, it's part of preaching these days. People's phones get off and you'd be like, oh, oh, trying to find it. And um, okay, moving on. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> it wasn't Jesus. Ooh, I love church plants. Okay, so we see Jesus call out the betrayer here through this meal, Judas, who is not his, who turns out not to believe Jesus is. But right after that, he calls out Peter as being one who would deny him, who will fall under the pressure of Satan. And then the sword thing, completely misunderstood. They completely misunderstood what Jesus says to them. Get this, they take Jesus' conversation about who and how he was and how his body to be broken for them and bloodshed and, and that one of them will betray him and turn it into a conversation about who was the most righteous. Know this from this passage. Like them, y'all, we, me, you, we will all make mistakes and sin and fail and fall and let Jesus and other folk down in this world and in this community. I'm not calling you guys to some self-righteous utopia. We will even become guilty and condemned by our own ideas of what a good person or Christian is. We will fail to be as good as we thought we were a wannabe. We will all feel like hypocrites. And how I felt the other day, not very Christian. One day I woke up because of something somebody said on some blog I wrote. I mean, they wrote, not me. And I read it. I'm like, I'm not a Christian. I went around moping. Satan gets me too. I'm the pastor preparing my sermon. I'm not a Christian. Because I'm doing these evil things they said I shouldn't be doing or something, some kind of thing. Maybe he was right, but I was mad at it. Anyway, we'll fail. You and I will ignore the poor when we shouldn't. I know we will laugh or let racist, sexist jokes fly by and not address them. You will be too afraid to speak up or in arrogance speak too much. You will get much of what this Bible is saying wrong. Lots of times we will. And thus goes the testimony of everybody in the body of Christ. I don't always, with some of you, believe Jesus like I should. I don't always trust and believe this stuff. He says, man, especially when it comes to being a Bible-believing Christian in this world. Come on, y'all. Sometimes I'm like, Jesus, man, this thing too hard. Forget church, being a believer. But while you are saying forget this, selling out and even misunderstanding and twisting it, be assured of what Jesus assured Peter, the one who would deny him. Look again at verse 31 through 34. It says here, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, 
The rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. When Jesus calls his name out twice, don't get it confused. This is not mama having to call you twice. And so you know you're already in trouble. This is not a double call of frustration. Peter, doggone Peter. This is affection. This is love for a child or younger brother that will go through some condemning situations, some things that will try his faith. Jesus is in love with Peter in these words and showing his love, and it tells us how he sees and addresses us in our failures and misconceptions and fears. This is the message around the table in the church that you should be hearing. Jesus declaring that he will not abandon the redemption that will be and is happening in you and me and through us in this world. Therefore, he will not leave or forsake the ones who leave and who are forsaking. It means that he will not pray for the prayerless, that he will be the truth for those that misunderstand, that he will speak for those who get choked up, that he become the servant of those who want to be haughty, that he will fix all that we have broken in our arrogance and ignorance, that he will keep up with the runner and go down there with the sinner, that this is what is redemptive about Jesus, that Jesus loves and never will stop loving we who struggle with sin and our identity that, that are his people, that, that he's eternally committed to them in ways that we will not and cannot ever be to him. He will cover and deal with and take on our mistakes and like Peter, forgive us and return us. That he is so forgiving. You cannot ruin or outrun or be so broken that this community, you can't be a part of this community. This community can't be a living testimony of his grace. You can't be that broken with a God that amazing. Yes, Jesus will call us out. We'll hear the scripture, you know, convict us. But then he will love and stay with us and heal us. And it shows and tells us again that we are not called to be the fuel ourselves or be the food ourselves, but he is. Let me close with this last part here that he does. Again, like any gathering of this sort around soul food, there is a message and a story communicated through it and by it, right? Like I said, for, for my people, my culture, it says that we have a history in our food use that has survived and says we've survived and we've made it and we've been resourceful with things we've had. There's a chicken wing shortage. I cannot believe it. You know the history of chicken wings? That's the part people didn't want. And somebody had to do something with it. Now... Chicken wings, real expensive. It's the most expensive part of the chicken when you go in there. Yeah, that thing ridiculous. Only thing affordable is the necks and the backs. Y'all don't even see those anymore. We used to eat the necks and the backs. Sorry, I'm, I'm so country. But now that same food, right, that we use to get by, when it's on the table, 
It's a story of what was hard and broken and how now it has become a celebration of life and fulfillment and family and hope. At the Passover, they would say the following line as they broke the bread. They'd break the bread and say, this is the bread of affliction our ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. And it was done to point to the middle passage between freedom as slaves to entering the promised land when they wandered in the desert, sometimes unsure of whether it would ever happen for them. And in that time, many died, many suffered, but God fed them bread from heaven and kept them, and they did enter the promised land. And so when Jesus gets up and breaks the bread and says in verse 19, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you, in doing so, he is substituting in the way that he did. He is saying the things that separate you from God from having right relationship with God and yourself and with each other and in this world will happen to me when I die on the cross. That your sense of freedom and peace, it relies on me. That I will be the bread of your affliction. I will take on the penalty of your sin. I will share in the suffering and in my act of dying, bear the burden of the coming redemption in your life. But I am also the fuel and power and drive and God behind your faith in your being the people of God. I, Jesus, am the sole food because I am food for your soul. And when you eat of him, you can enter a rest and believe and be restored and unburdened and reconciled. Jesus said, eat of me. Eat of my word when you hear the preaching. Eat of me in worship. Eat of me through the relationship with my people, my sacraments, my Lord's Supper. Take in my grace for your soul. And as I am central to this community in the Central West End, I'll make a people and a place who live and are fueled and are kept by the soul food grace of Jesus Christ. And all are welcome to come to him and be in this people, in this family. He's our soul food. Let us pray.